Welcome back to the Chat Sports Podcast. I'm here today with Corey Butler and Mark Phillip of Are You Watching This? Guys, thanks for being on today. Thanks for having me, Ryan. My pleasure. So you guys both have a couple Brooklyn ties, so I kind of wanted to you know, go a little local here and start out the podcast just diving into this is the first season of the Brooklyn Nets. They made the playoffs. The Islanders are going to be moving to Brooklyn. And just talk about the sports scene in Brooklyn and Brooklyn as a whole real quick. You know, since Mark is a native, I'll, I'll actually let him start there. <laughs> <laughs> That's too kind of you. Uh, I'm, uh, I was born in Brooklyn in, in the late 70s. So for me, the, the Knicks were my te- the team of my youth uh, as a, a kid on a, a ba- high school basketball team that wasn't very good and had to live off hustle. For me, it was all about the Oakleys and the Masons of the world, the Charles Smiths of the world. And so that was the team that I think about most when I think about sports as a kid. And having that New York Knicks allegiance, that diehard Knicks allegiance, it was a little unusual when the Nets came to Brooklyn because the Knicks always felt like my hometown team, but it wasn't until the Nets sort of arrived that I started to think, well, okay, yes, it is my hometown team, but Barclays Center is really close to where I grew up. And so I think for a lot of sports fans that, that grew up in the city, uh, native New Yorkers, that there's a bit of a, a confusion of, you know, do I stick with a team that I grew up with? Or has Manhattan always seemed far enough that a team moving to Brooklyn sort of usurps that love a little bit? I, I don't think Spike Lee had any issue with that problem. <laughs> <laughs> Spike Lee just absolutely, he said he was sticking with the Knickerbockers, and, and I, can, I can respect that. But uh, my, my ties are slightly different. I did not grow up a, a Knicks fan. And my, my family, my dad's side, a lot of those guys are from Brooklyn. And, you know, my ties came from going up just for the Subway, ser- the subway Series and, and checking out Mets and, and Yankees games. And, you know, I, I really enjoyed Brooklyn. And when Brooklyn got a team, I, I was actually very excited. Of course, I'm not a native New Yorker. I don't have the ties to the Knicks. So I, I thought it was a great idea. But then hearing some of the backlash from people in Brooklyn, sure, it, it was it was quite odd to me because who wouldn't want a team in what they call the great state of Brooklyn? They call it its own state, for goodness sake. So I, I, I thought it was quite bizarre. But I, I think it's absolutely cool. I love the uniforms. I love their colors. And I don't know. I, I think they're going to really take over some of these Knicks fans in New York. And I think that's one of the wonderful things about New York sports rivalries that in a city that is all about digital, who owns the back page of the newspaper is critical. Mm-hmm. And so whether it's Jets versus Giants, Yankees versus Mets, that's, or yeah. now Nets versus Knicks, there's a real rivalry for who has that mind share in right. the same way we're used to for a, you know, a, a Goala versus Foursquare or something like that. You know, figuring out who uh, who has the city's heart is is going to be a really interesting battle when you have someone like Prokhorov who has, or at least seems like he has money to burn and mm-hmm. really wants to be on on the top of that of that uh, that market. Yeah, I, I think just because the Knicks are such a longstanding franchise, that that's probably their their biggest advantage because they they gave. The, the Nets gave New York a run for the, or excuse me, <laughs> the Nets gave the Knicks, I can't say New York anymore. <laughs> the Nets gave the Knicks a run for their money this year uh, in the uh, Eastern Conference uh, division there, especially in the, uh, 
in the Atlantic. You know, they, they finished second behind them. And some of their battles were, were pretty epic for a first year. So, I mean, granted, they were the New Jersey Nets. So it's not like they were, you know, an expansion team. But it, they, they gave them some battles. And I, I thought, I think this is going to be great for years to come. I think you're right. I'm looking forward to the day when we have that first playoff series. Right. I just don't know how the city's going to be able to contain itself. It's just oh. going to explode from excitement. And don't let it be an Eastern Conference Finals. <laughs> oh, forget about it. Do you guys think the Nets can ever capture the city's heart? I mean, is it going to be like the Lakers-Clippers things where the Clippers can have a good year here and everyone's like, yay, good for them, but never. They're always the second, the little brother. I, I vote little brother. I'm sorry. I vote little brother. I'm biased because I'm a Knicks fan, so I, I would say little brother, but I think they made a great start with branding. I think bringing on Jay-Z as a minority owner, it was just a, a genius stroke. It was. I don't think I'm as in love with the logo as Corey is, but I think it's still <laughs> really, really well done, really classy. And so I think, uh, I don't think they need to dominate the Knicks, but I think it's similar to Red Sox Yankees where, you know, if you look at the number of titles, the score is 27 to two, but the Red Sox feel real comfortable coming into Yankee stadium and knocking the Yankees in the mouth. So I think it'll always be a little bit little brother. I don't think the score has to be even as far as titles go, even though the Knicks aren't very far ahead with two. Uh, I think their proximity will make it really interesting. Now, also with Brooklyn, the the Islanders are going to be moving there. They're going to keep the New York name. Is this how's this going to play in Brooklyn? That's a great question. Uh, You know, I think you know it's always interesting when you see something like a a hockey team in Florida or or LA because that's not really a, a hockey culture, and in a lot of these warm cities. And Brooklyn, with our climate, you know, makes sense for hockey, but it's it, it never really had the same tie to the city in the same way basketball, baseball, or football does. And, you know, generally the hockey is out of the big four. It's on the bottom of the list. But I'm very curious what the fanship will be like in a in a borough like Brooklyn because it's never really, at least when I was living there, it was never really something that we focused on unless the Rangers were doing something amazing in the playoffs. Right. And granted, I'm, I'm not that big of a hockey fan. So of course I didn't, I never really watched, of course, when, when uh, the great one was there, but you, you'd see highlights and things like that. But I actually heard that they were thinking about changing their logo to kind of mimic the, the Brooklyn Nets logo when they make this move to the Barclays center. And I think, I think doing something like that, just as captivating as that would really be able to take a stronghold of, of Brooklyn fans. You'd be able to associate your hockey team with your new basketball team. And so then it's all coming together. And it's, I don't know, it's creating this, this city of one. It's, you know, it's, we're Brooklyn now. Like, yeah, I, I can't really explain it. I wish I could explain it better, but it's creating this, this wholesome, this, this oneness for the uh, Bureau. That, that makes sense. That definitely makes sense from an outsider West Coast perspective. The Islanders logo to me is kind of iconic, and maybe it shouldn't be. You know, that, that's interesting. I mean, I look at – I have a customer in, in Australia, and so I've been keeping an eye on Australian sports a lot lately. I don't want to pretend like I'm always watching uh, sports <laughs> everywhere, even though I watch a good amount. 
there's an expansion team in the Australian A-League, which is kind of like the U.S. version of the MLS, and they're called the Western Sydney Wanderers. This past year in the A-League was their first year, so expansion team uh, had pretty much nothing uh, six months before the season started, ended up with the most fervent fan base in the history of the A-League and made it to the, the grand final where they uh, they painfully lost. But it's a really interesting story because with the Wanderers, they got to start from scratch, not only with the team, but with the culture. And I got to see a game, and it is in one of the top five experiences I will ever have as a sports fan wow. because the fans started chanting and dancing and singing hours before the match in the middle of the city and marched out to the stadium. And if you just Google Western City Wanderers and, and listen to their songs and look at the videos, there's something amazing about it because they felt that ownership, that ability to start a culture of a team from scratch. And the Islanders logo, it is iconic. I can see the colors and, and the logo in my head, but I think it would be really interesting in the same way that the Nets sort of did a reboot and a restart to really give that tip of the cap to, to, the, to Brooklyn and that oneness to, to let them help shape that fan base because they really have an, an empty canvas to work with. And if they do it right, it, it could really strike a nerve. Right. And, and actually, another thing that I noticed, even if they don't go with the, the black and white, which is, which is notable for the Brooklyn Nets, they were thinking about going with taking away the orange and just going blue and white, reminiscent of the Brooklyn Dodgers. So then you're really tapping into the, the historic roots of, of Brooklyn now. With, you bring up the Dodgers, and I think it'd be very interesting to, for MLB to watch the success of the Islanders move to Brooklyn. I know the Yankees and the Mets would never allow this, but with the struggling attendance you see in Miami, and I know they can't move because of the new stadium, but Tampa Bay, Oakland, it would be an interesting case study to see if a team in baseball could move to Brooklyn and go back to a three-team market like they used to be in New York. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That, that's, a, that's a good one right there, Ryan. I, man, I, I as, as, a, as a Yankees fan, I don't want to see that because I, my my dad when he was growing up they would they would go to the Brooklyn Dodgers games and when when the Dodgers left they already hated the Yankees and so one thing they couldn't do was cheer for the Yankees and so of course the new team they decided to cheer for the Metropolitans and I I don't think that would fare well in Brooklyn because I know in Brooklyn either you are a diehard Yankees fan. But from what I've met, from the ones that I've met in Brooklyn, family members, most of them are Mets fans. And so then you'd really be splitting up the bureau into three sectors, which would be really challenging. With that, I, would, I, I, don't, I can't say I wouldn't mind seeing that. You, you blew my mind, Ryan. I, I never even thought <laughs> of the concept. And trying to play it forward a little bit, you know, one of these teams – or two out of these three, if this happened, would end up being in the same division. Yeah. And so you'd have to play just constantly. And I, I it's it's interesting. I, I I need to think about it more because there is sort of <laughs> pain that I think people still feel when the Dodgers left Brooklyn. And some people even tie it to sort of the 
the dissent that the borough took in the sixties and seventies, mm-hmm. uh, because that, because the heart of Brooklyn had been taken away. And so now with this resurgence, I could see an argument that it's a good time to bring it back, but you know, most likely in the same way, the city of Austin will never have a pro team because the Longhorns rule the day. Uh, I think it would be hard to bring a, another team to New York City. It'd be extremely difficult, but with baseball moving to a more local local ratings, local focus, just not because they want to. That's just the nature of the game at this point. Right. You get, That's 19 games there in a local, you know, Subway series that would be huge ratings in the biggest market in the whole world for the most part almost. In the New York market. I mean, you, you honestly can't beat that. <laughs> you can't beat that. It'd be a ton of fun to watch. It would. It would. So to kind of transition out of that, speaking of kind of rating stuff, Mark, I wanted to touch on how, you know, consumers are now consumer meet, consuming sports in a different way than they ever used to before. And you know more about this than probably anyone as you are the CEO and founder of Are You Watching This that notifies people when a great game is happening. I was wondering if you can kind of touch on just what's going on with people's attention span and how technology such as your company and other companies out there are affecting how consumers consume sports. Well, I think we always assume that attention spans are getting shorter, and I think they are somewhat. But when you look at sports, I don't think they are. But I think the most interesting thing is we're actually getting a ton more options. So you look at things like uh, you have ESPN that has been the sort of gorilla for so long, and you have CBS sort of taking shots now, and Turner Sports turning into their own little uh, Goliath of a sports property. And then you have NBC jumping in with Formula One and then bringing all the English Premier League that they're going to be bringing shortly we're getting more and more ways to watch, whether it's online. I actually just saw a few minutes ago that they're doing the rest of MLB season online for $57 for the entire season. It's, it's getting cheaper and it's getting wow. easier to watch anything you want. And so I think as we get more, more options, uh, I think you'll see more either companies like mine or at least solutions like mine where you're able to curate you're able to be recommended what you should be watching instead of trying to figure out, you know, what channel number NBC sports is because it's, you know, banished off to some random number far away from most of the other sports properties. It's just about turning on your TV and and being delighted and having great sports content given to you at just the right time. Mark, you know what I think of when I, when I think of this, this, your, your, your company here, and I, I think it's absolutely brilliant. I'm I'm disappointed I didn't know about this earlier. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> but the first thing I think of is is March Madness and and around NCAA time when oh, who's who the power couple? Is it CBS? CBS. They initially they held all of the games just to themselves before they branched off and you know gave it to TNT, TBS, and you know all the other guys. They held all the channels and then they would shift you between each game. And now you can watch it on multiple games, and they'll even update you as the game is going. It's like March Madness all over, except now it's with multiple sports, and you can have it all. And this, this is brilliant. I, I think this is absolutely brilliant because now, as a sport fan, sports fan, you can just tune in and out to different games and, and be abreast to, to what's going on in each game. Each, you know, keep up with the action. 
Well, thank you much. I appreciate it. It's basically the site that I always wished existed, and I was selfish and naive enough to leave my healthcare and go out and build it. Uh, you know, when they took the games, I shouldn't say took the games, but when Turner teamed up with CBS to spread it across the all four networks, it, it really changed everything because you have so much you can watch. Right. But the amazing, one of my favorite numbers that I've learned while watching, are you or growing? Are you watching this? is there are 67-ish games uh, throughout all of March Madness. But one out of four days of the year has 100 sporting events in a single day. Wow. And I've seen college football Saturdays with over 500 games in a single day. Wow. And so, yes, March Madness is great, and it's one of the most fun times of the year for Are You Watching This? We actually did some real cool stuff with, uh, with digital billboards with Turner Sports this year. So you're driving down the highway and it's flashing upset or something like that. Really interesting stuff. But there is so much content and we're getting so much more that it's it really kind of dwarfs March Madness as far as the amount of content you could have in any afternoon or evening. Right. And I can imagine. So so with your site, I'm able to to customize what I want to see, which which sporting events I want to see. Can I say, for instance, if I. If I'm strictly an NBA fan, I don't want to see college basketball. Can I? Are you guys going to give me updates on all the NBA games, but also on my particular teams? And do I get recommendations for maybe if there is a college game that's that's going to be brilliant? You know, that's that's turning into you know an ESPN classic. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really, uh, I don't think Are You Watching This will ever be a household name, so we can't be too mad at Ryan that he didn't bring it up to you. <laughs> uh, we're actually a B2B company, so we'll take our data mm-hmm. and license it to other companies. So whether it's someone like Sporting News who has us in our iPad app, Sportstream is a, a cool small startup based in the Bay, uh, or Telstra, our sort of Australian telco that's a new customer that's had me neck deep in cricket and rugby, uh, we take this data, work with other companies so that uh, one day you'll get home from, from practice at Stanford and you'll turn on your TV and your DVR will have recorded uh, the, the Brooklyn Nets versus Knicks game that went in a triple overtime without you having to do anything because nice. it knows you like basketball or it knows you like this one college basketball team. Or maybe it knows you don't like hockey, but the game was so unbelievably epic, it recorded it for you anyway. Nice. And Mark, you talked about this is the site you've always wanted. And I've asked you a while ago what your first memory of sports was. I was wondering if you could share that story real quick because it really helps show the full circle of you as a sports fan and you chasing after your dream in a sense. <laughs> sure. It's, uh, it's, it's actually a Mets game. It was my, my first ever game. I'd gone with my mom, and we lived in, in, in South Brooklyn, so getting up to Flushing, uh, just the way the trains are, are set up, uh, it's a couple transfers, and it's a long trip. <laughs> and I remember we were up in Flushing at Shea Stadium, and it was a blowout, if I remember correctly. At least we were down by a few runs, and it was late, and... Me and mom just decided to let's let's head home. Let's beat the rush. Let's get on the seven train and head down. And I just remember as we were walking out, hearing these just yells and screams from the stadium. <laughs> and it, it wasn't. I mean, this was you know mid eighties, late eighties. I couldn't whip out my phone and figure out what happened. And with my attention span as a child, I probably forgot about the next day. I don't know if I ever found out what happened. But oh, that hurt. thought of. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I might have missed something great. And that sort yeah. of 
digital pull back into a game, whether you're walking out of the stadium or you're, you know, doing laundry or raking the leaves or something equally as lame, you know, something that will <laughs> make sure that you, you never miss those amazing moments. That's, that's a great point. That actually just happened to me uh, about two weeks ago when I went home to the Braves game. And uh, as soon as we walk out of the stadium, they hit about the Upton brothers start, you know, knocking the ball <laughs> out of the yard. And <laughs> I say, gosh, darn it. But no, that's, 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 a, that's a great point. I'm sorry. It's just a great story that that's his first memory <laughs> of sports. And this is the man who goes on to create, are you watching this? And with that, I, I kind of want to talk more about technology and sports and where we're going. I mean, Mark, you have a great sense of how technology can impact a consumer and just the amount of technology, what it, can transition to teams. Corey, you know all about the advanced metrics that are going on and scouting reports and things like that. And it just, I'm curious, like, where you guys think things are going with the amount of technology and data we have, like scouting reports, how games are officiated. Look at the two blown calls we've had in baseball over the back-to-back nights here. Are we going to, like, robots and guys who just <laughs> literally just only react and don't make decisions on their own? Or what's going to be happening in the future of sports with technology? You know, I, I, I honestly think that sports like baseball and sports that try to stay away from video and things like that, they're going to have to move towards that a little bit more in order to – I know they don't want to to keep the integrity of, you know, the old school game, but in order to make sure that the outcome is always fair and that they're always making the correct decision on the field and giving the, the best team the opportunity to win or the team that deserves to win the opportunity to win, I think we're going to go to more video and things like that. But what I handle more so is uh, scouting and, and, you know, checking out video, scouting opponents, things like that. And one of the biggest concepts that, that was thought of was were, like, digital players. Like, maybe not, not necessarily holograms, but on your computer, you'd be able to draw up, like, 3D, three-dimensional guys and, and be able to predict moves, be able to predict, you know, teams' tendencies, what they're going to do things like that, just completely, you know, futuristic, just total recall, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger just completely out there. And I, I thought that was that was really cool that, you know, they're working on that. Granted, I don't know if that will ever be possible, but I, I like where we're going. I like that it's becoming really sci-fi. It's interesting. I mean, when I read articles about, oh gosh, I can't remember what it was, but it was they had done analysis of, player decisions essentially so the ability to map everyone on the court and to understand who made the right play and who went over a pick when they should have gone under a pick right and lebron james had scored something ridiculous like he almost always made the right decision on on an open player or a double team but i'm curious as you you know look at scouting i mean if you could wave a magic wand would it be more on the the analysis side of understanding what people did um, you know, in the past history when you're looking at scouting, or is it more sort of trying to predict what they might do in the future? I think, of course, looking at the past, you can you can try to pick up on people's tendencies, and, and that kind of indicates what they will do, what they'll come back to most times. But a lot of players, like LeBron James, they're always evolving, and you have to try to keep up with what he's doing and adding to his game. But for most players, they aren't doing that. So I think... Right now, I think most most coaches, most scouts, most teams will look at what guys do in the past as an indicator 
of what they're going to do in the future right now. But I, I could be absolutely wrong. I, I am not an expert on this. <laughs> I'm also curious with drafting that, I mean, they're hooking guys up to brain monitoring devices and they could keep doing that in the future just what, to determine whether or not a guy is reacting or it's just instinctive native because he's an expert in the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hour theory. Mm. And we could just, I mean, is that where drafting is going to go and everything's going to go? We're just going to hook up guys to brain machine and that's going to be the final brain scans, not brain machines, <laughs> the final determinant <laughs> of whether these guys are experts and these guys can play. I mean, are we going to just, are these guys going to really become like futuristic pro can pro proded and prodded to determine if they can play ball? You know, I, if, if that question was for me, that is a challenging question. <laughs> I don't know. I honestly don't know. I, I think that's a great question, but I don't, I don't know where guys are going to go with that. I apologize. I'm being so vague, but I, I honestly don't know. It's, it's a tough one. I mean, I, I think if you look at the, the Wonderlick test, it's something that they love trotting out and they love doing every year. But, you know, in, in football, no one knows if it really means anything. You have guys that score well that don't have good careers and guys who don't score well uh, and have great ones. And honestly, I think if we have, from someone who is nowhere near uh, attached to any of these decisions, but I think if I was on a team and I had the technology and it was cheap or free to me, for me to use – we'd use it. And, and I think more and more you're going to see teams doing that just to, to cover their bases. I don't know that it's going to directly map, but I think if the technology gets there, I think people will want to sort of use that, pull that lever if they can. Right. And maybe to create a better understanding of, of the decisions that guys make. And if you do have that instinctful player, if you do have that guy that he just knows this game and he can just play it, maybe. I think you're right, Mark. And then with all the data that's being collected, you know, every play is charted. Every every little step is there, and it's put in a computer so it can easily be spit out. Are we just moving to game theory in terms of, you know, they have one of two options what they're going to do, and we're going to call a play, and as soon as you see something, you just have to know the scouting report in order to react, and we kind of lose that free-flowing nature of some games? Well, I think with uh, data analytics now, I, I think that uh, that's what they're starting to do. But I think that's been done for years in terms of scouting, where you kind of you, you had an idea based on a scouting report that an assistant coach or the coach would uh, give you. You knew what a guy was going to do. You knew he had one of three things maybe that he'd do. And you try to force him into the, the option that the coach felt was the worst. But now we have computers that can definitively tell us, you know, this guy, he shoots – 12% when he does this or he shoots much better when he does this so you want to push him towards the the weaker option of those three or however many options there are and then I guess kind of one other thing with technology none of us are medical experts but like we saw what Adrian Peterson did last year we're hearing Robert Griffin is on pace to come back this season for week one I mean that the NFL is certainly betting on him putting him on Monday night and then we saw Kobe Bryant go over to Germany for a, a treatment on his knees. Are we, are guys' careers going to be extended and it's going to be the norm and no longer like PED sort of baseball guys with Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds? Or is, how do we feel like about maybe a 45-year-old playing professionally? Oh, man. 
I mean, I Mark. think Adrian Peterson kind of ruined it for everybody. I mean, he's he's already a freak of nature, and to come back so quickly and to have the year that he had last year, I mean, I don't think Derek Rose is going to be sending AP a, a Christmas card because he has <laughs> just this amazing pressure to, to get back on the court. And, you know, a couple years ago, if you would have told me someone blew out their knee in the way that he did, you wouldn't expect them to be back for a year. But now he's getting so much pressure because he's not bouncing back in the same way all day did. So, I mean, I think... I think you're right. We are going to see longer careers, uh, but I, I think it might be, you know, sort of balanced a bit by how much earlier a lot of the athletes are playing. You look at someone like Strasburg, who was just sort of coddled all last year, and he's already talking about elbow soreness now. So I wonder if you have maybe people getting more technology on the back end, but on the front end with all the AAU stuff sort of uh, – many careers they have before their real careers start, maybe it'll balance out. That's really interesting I, to think about yeah. that. Yeah, I, I do think there is somewhat of a, a burnout effect when it comes to actually getting to the pro level. These guys are, are playing basketball year-round. Unfortunately, I was one of those victims that was that played year-round, and by the time I ended my college career, I was done. I, I didn't want to play anymore because I, I had enough basketball in my life to last two lifetimes. And <laughs> But I do think careers will be extended because just with, of course, with time, science gets better. Uh, you know, we get smarter as human, being, human beings. But I think there are some injuries. And, of course, you can't beat Mother Nature. You can't, you can't beat Father Time. And guys like Kobe Bryant, no matter what, there's always going to be something. As hard as he plays and as long as he's been playing, like Mark said, he's been playing since he was 17 years old. Like, he's, he's 34 now, I believe. So I, I think eventually, once those injuries start to pile up, it may have an effect on you psychologically and where you say, you know, I, I think it's time for me to call it quits. So that's kind of interesting, the burnout rate. Do you feel guys might be able to play longer, but they're just going to call it because they've played so much? I, I think if you're smart like Ray Lewis, you, you, you call it when you go out on top. And that's that. And then you're able to walk upright instead of like most guys when they're done with their careers. You know, they're hunched over. Their knees are bad. You know, I think he's going to be able to walk away from this game and, and be able to play with his kids, as they say, because he didn't play as long. Or, excuse me, he played long, but he went out, you know, without a significant injury and, you know, just on top, I believe. Interesting. So to kind of tie this back to the consumer here. If guys play longer, that creates a you know a deeper tie to the player to the team. Do we feel like this will help sports kind of you know make sure that the established star is you know you grow up with like we kind of in because they switch teams so often nowadays it's a little bit different than when it was us growing up and you know for me Tony Gwynn stayed with the Padres entire career. <laughs> you know it's it's tough. I mean I think the allegiances change because I think as as a country we're becoming more mobile as well as free agents becoming more mobile uh, in the same way that you see area codes that sort of shift and move where I'll meet someone here in Austin and I'll expect them to have a 512 area code but they might have a 718 from Brooklyn or 206 from when they lived in Seattle you know we're becoming a, a country where people move around more and you don't have someone like a Derek Jeter, who I will 
cry when he retires in the same way I cry when Mariano <laughs> Rivera retires. I mean, that's just expected. That's just how it's going to be. I've come to terms with it already. But it's it's going to become more and more rare, I think. Uh, maybe I'm a cynic, but uh, I see it getting worse and worse. So yeah, I got – oh, sorry. You know, go for it. Oh, I, was, I was just going to say I absolutely agree with that, where you have so many people moving, especially here in California, where you have so many transplants. New York, you have so many transplants. And, of course, you don't always get to watch your team. So I, I definitely agree with that, that you don't, you don't necessarily feel those ties to somewhat your team or, or to certain players on the team. So with a player's longer career, could the player become even more of the draw? And, you know, we could almost be to the point where you could just have a blank front of the jersey and just the name on the back? <laughs> uh, well, the, the Yankees have that just in reverse order. <laughs> I mean, you know who number two is, you know, when you when you go to a game. But I don't know, because, you know, as guys, as they get older in their, in their professional careers, they don't play as well or they don't play as much. And then it really becomes more so about the team, I think, especially these last couple of years for Derek Jeter, where he hasn't been the same DJ that we've known, the captain that we've known. But I, I, I could be wrong, but I, I think it transitions more so into the team rather than the player as that guy gets older. I think you're right. And so I guess the final question I have for this podcast here is kind of towards Mark, I guess. But are we going to get to the point when we're going to get alerts when certain guys, we can put our preference for players and when they have the ball or when they're up to bat – or were they not on offense and football? We can get alerts to that's going on right now to that'd switch be, the channel. That'd be great. <laughs> uh, ab- absolutely. Uh, you know, there's. I've been working on this project for a long time. There are lots of ideas that uh, I've been lucky enough to do, and, and some that the technologists aren't there yet. But you know, whether it's something small like you know automatically recording for you. Uh, whether it's something tangible now where I know for, for someone like Corey, it'll be great to just have a, a DVR that could automatically record every time this player that you're interested in is about to get the ball, has the ball, and then shoots the ball, and then stops recording. So it's it almost makes the highlight reel for you automatically. Wow. But I, I do think we're going to get to the point where beyond sports, you know, the ability to just turn on my TV and have it jump from content to content red zone channel style. So it's going to bounce to that one scene in the Shawshank Redemption that I love and then bounce to Fast and the Furious because there's that one line that I think is hilarious and then bounce me over to this Yankees game because it's bases loaded in the bottom of the ninth. Mm -hmm. I think as our devices get smarter, and I don't know if it's going to be the Google TVs or the smart TVs of the world. I think it's always going to be driven by our smartphones. I think that's going to become our remote control for the world in a way that we haven't reached quite yet. But I think as they become more interconnected and my phone knows a lot more about me than it already does, the ability to walk into a room and just say, TV go, you know, TV concierge kick on, uh, I think we'll be expecting a lot more to be taken to the most exciting game on TV should say the most exciting content on TV, whether it's sports or not. Nice. I'm definitely excited about the future after hearing some of this stuff here. If we could get that going, sign me up, please. Uh, I am working on it, my friend. Hopefully, uh, hopefully sooner rather than later. Oh, gentlemen, I appreciate you guys being on the podcast. Um, you know, thank you guys for giving us your time here. I could tell Jeff Corey has some basketball practice to get to, and I know Mark, you got. 
a lot going on out there because it's all on you. So I appreciate that, guys. And for the, today's podcast, that wraps things up. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Corey. And tune in. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes to the Chat Sports Podcast. Awesome. Thanks, Ryan. Take care, guys.